This episode of Just Chat is supported by Noble Oak. Life can be full of surprises, but life insurance shouldn't be one of them. Protect your loved ones with Noble Oak. Members of the Law Society of New South Wales are entitled to a 10% discount on life cover. Get your peace of mind today. Call 1-300-108-490 and mention Law Society of New South Wales. Or visit nobleoak.com.au forward slash law society. General advice by Noble Oak AFSL 247302, the issuer of the cover. Consider your situation and the PDS available from Noble Oak with a lifetime discount TNCs and TMD at nobleoak.com.au forward slash law society. The Law Society takes no responsibility for our supporters' products and services or any representation made by our supporters. Just Chat acknowledges First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land on which we work in Australia. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and to the youth who are working towards a brighter tomorrow. Hi, I'm Amy Dale and you're listening to Just Chat, the podcast where we speak to those making and shaping the law. No bias, no politics, Just Chat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Just Chat. Welcome. How's it going, Amy? Everything is good. I'm very excited about our final episode of the year. This yeah. was a really nice one to finish off the year in our usual tradition of sitting down with the outgoing president of the Law Society of New South Wales, exactly. Cassandra Banks. Yeah, and um, it, 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 it's interesting because after the last couple of episodes, I've, uh, uh, sorry, it's interesting because after the last couple of ep- uh, presidents had to deal with what was going on with the, uh, in the world and there were very challenging times with Cassandra was an opportunity to start rebuilding start looking into the future and and um, we really wanted to know how she she tackled that how she went about um, uh, preparing the law society for or prepare our members for what's happening in this post-pandemic profession basically exactly and she had a really big remit of priorities spanning everything from health and well-being in the profession to doing more to boost awareness of the role that solicitors can play in the child protection system to increasing resourcing for legal aid to improving gender equity in the profession uh, looking into diversionary pathways for vulnerable people who are within the criminal justice system so uh not some, not always super easy topics to tackle, but no, no, um, no. certainly a, a range of ideas that she has really like tackled head on. Yeah. But what I also really liked about this chat is, I suppose, also the more personal elements of being president, and then obviously there's a lot of policy work and really kind of active effort being made in the priorities. But also there's a huge amount of like public work that has to go into yeah. being being president of the Law Society and being out there in public. And it was really nice to hear her talking about how she has found those those public facing parts of her role. Yeah, exactly. And I, I always think about like how the how can one go about becoming a president of Law Society like mentally. Like I know how it happens. But mentally prepared, that is one year of your life that you just have to put on hold professionally to come to Sydney and stay here, bring family, and she had to do all that and and come with an agenda of 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 things that need to be achieved within a year. Sometimes things about projects that ta- will take other people or or um, other companies several years, um, five years maybe to even complete. She has to do it within one year. 
so yeah, there's a lot of challenges to go through. Really a lot of challenges to go through and really having to embrace a love of public speaking as yes. well because it is such a forward-facing role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve to, to everyone. Well, uh, I hope you guys uh, like the conversation. We'll see you on the other side. Well, Cassie, thank you so much for coming into the studio for our final episode of the year. It's obviously been a huge year for you, which we're looking forward to hearing a bit more about. I think the first thing that I want to ask is, obviously, you come into a role like this having spent an extraordinary amount of time on council and involved with young lawyers in the council there. So you, you sort of, I imagine, know a bit of what you're getting into. But what has been the thing that has surprised you the most about a role like this? The thing that really surprised me was probably personal resilience. You think that you're sort of at your limit and then somehow you just turn around and get the job done. And because it's only a year, it's a bit of a sprint. So you don't have two years to settle into the to the job. You've just got to hit the ground running and you pretty much run all year. And I think yeah, the personal resilience was probably the number one. And then the number two thing that surprised me was when people reached out just to give a compliment. I don't think that people compliment each other that often these days anymore. And it was really nice, even just from really early on, when people contacted me and said, oh, that part of your speech really resonated with me and we would have a chat about whatever they were interested in. And it was just really nice for people to reach out. And that surprised me. Not that I don't think we're a kind profession, um, but I just didn't expect it. But you're right, because a lot of the times people are often quick to contact or write in to when they don't like something, like complaints are often much easier to write, but it is very rare that someone will actually take the time to single out something that they really appreciated or enjoyed. That's absolutely the case. And I mean, feedback is a gift and we're always happy to hear what members are concerned about, but it's also really lovely to get something nice come through. You mentioned uh, getting feedback after a speech. Do, do you have a favourite event or moment or, or speech that you've given of the presidency? My top moment would be the opening of law term speech. That was just, it was a moment where words were really powerful and there was a whole room full of people who were really engaged. And for that to really be my first big gig, to have the whole room thinking about what I was trying to convey, that really was my highlight personal moment. It was it was a good night. And I think more generally speaking throughout the year, swearing in and swearing out ceremonies, they were a real highlight because more often than not we're in court, it's really serious. Um, it's not a sort of celebration. So it's really nice to be able to take a moment and celebrate a person being sworn in or retiring from the court and they're really special unique moments to be a part of. Yeah, and often the feedback that, and I know I actually think the one that you did yesterday was with the Justice who was our most recent guest on Just Chat, Justice Rares. That was a great speech because it's always a little bit daunting when you've got jokes in your speech and I sort of run with if people laugh on the first one, I'll keep going. <laughs> and so people were really receptive to the jokes that I had, which was really pleasing, and thank you so much to the team that put the speech together. Um, but it's scary sometimes not knowing the people very well and how 
some of the humor is going to be received, but it's always a joy to be able to celebrate those things. It's a very tricky high stakes moment to to kind of find out the the mood of a room. Of all of a sudden, it's like jokes. Okay, no no jokes. <laughs> and, and watching watching the bench, are they smiling at me or are they, do they look <laughs> like they're about to start throwing their pens? Yeah, um, and it's a skill to be able to master that on the spot and be ready to cull at a moment's notice. Did you, is it something that you, like a lot of people like public speaking can be a a thing that people really don't like. And it's interesting, I think, with the legal profession, because it often is like you often are talking a lot, but it's still like some people, like I'm amazed at the amount of lawyers I meet and we meet throughout our job and do podcasting. They'll make a mention that they don't like speaking in public. And you think, oh, but is that just another sort of one of the things that you're talking about when it comes to that personal resilience that sometimes you just have to think, okay, I'm here I have to do it. So pre-president role, I was in court a fair bit. So I was sort of used to that public speaking and I was president of the Regional Law Society up in Coffs Harbour and Grafton for a total of about nine years. So I'd, I'd done a fair bit of public speaking, but I think at the start of this year I still got nervous. Now you could hand me a speech and say, you've got 10 minutes, go and speak to a 1,000 people. And I'd probably <laughs> just go, yeah, okay. We'll tell and, and, and just check that I could pronounce all surnames and and if there are any complicated sentences in there. But apart from that, I'd just walk on and do the job. And that's pretty that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, if you said to me, there's 500 people who want to talk to you about A, B and C, and, all right, give me five minutes and I'll probably be able to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's brilliant. Well, obviously a really significant component of the presidency of the Law Society is presidential priorities. And you've had quite a, like a very... I would say a pretty varied sort of remit of priorities. I just want to, I suppose I want to kind of go through them and talk a little bit about, I know you, you've spoken a lot in speeches and, and media about the reason why you chose a lot of these, but I suppose to get as a sort of an update on now that where we're sitting sort of middle of November, sort of looking back on them and sort of what you sort of see that you've achieved. So the first one was focusing on the health and well-being of the legal profession, which I think is really important to note. This is one that sort of has been continuing through presidents and, and will continue. And, and it's important that it does. What do you, reflecting on it, sort of how how do you see the, the profession coming along in that space this year? So we had a really strong focus on not only just identifying the problem in terms of health and well-being, but also managing and mapping out how to implement a solution. And I think that's really resonated with people because we can go on and on about how mental health is poor in lawyers, but how are we going to fix that? And how can the everyday person implement something that is easy, quick, and makes sense to improve their lives, but also improve their practice? So the Staying Well in the Law webcast series have been massive and we've had huge registrations for them. And I'm really proud to have been a part of that series because we've provided solutions and we've chosen really practical topics like sleep, um, drinking, alcohol, and, and all sorts of financial resilience, for example. They're really everyday problems that affect all of us to some degree. So it's it's been great to be able to identify the problem but then really map out the solution in a really simple, practical way. Sleep is a huge one for the profession because I feel like it's not all that long ago that almost like bragging about how few hours of sleep people got a night. Like it became, it was part of that sort of hustle culture thing, right, of like who has time to sleep but now it's like we actually are sort of making a point of it of how critical it is to to well-being and for law like where it's 
had that previous reputation of 18-hour days, 2 a.m. finishes. Like that, that is quite a significant step in acknowledging that. I'm really hoping that this Staying with the Law series has sort of sparked a cultural shift and, and people are recognising that if they're not at the top of their game, then their game's not going to be any good. And if we're not at the top of our game, we're not servicing our clients to the best of our ability, then what are we doing? It's a bit of a vicious cycle. And I think people are now realising that. Another priority this year of yours was around strengthening the modern legal profession, including gender equity for career advancement. Obviously, there have been some pretty big developments in this space this year. Are you able to to talk a little bit more about what happened this year in that space? So it was really exciting to be able to launch, along with the Diversity and Inclusion Committee from the Law Society, the Equitable Remuneration in the Legal Profession Guide. And for the first time, we were able to really put out a publication that had really practical steps of how to make change and how to affect change in your workplace. And it still blows my mind that people don't think there's a gender pay gap. The evidence is there. The evidence is clear. And so we know what the problem is. And we've been able to produce a really good guide that addresses that problem and provides practical solutions. So it can be as simple as reviewing targets, but then actually measuring what you're aiming for so that you've got goals and then you've got outputs and you can tell if you're meeting the targets that you're setting. There's no point in setting a target and then set and forget and not measuring if you're actually achieving something. So this guide is a massive step forward and I'm really proud to be able to share it with international colleagues who are really interested. So the UK, for example, there's Uh, the International Bar Association, there are committees who want to see what work we've done so that we can hopefully share our knowledge and implement some of these strategies. This guide was another one that I think stood out to me in showing a little bit like sleep conversations, but I suppose showing the the maturity, the ongoing maturity of the conversations of like, we're no longer just saying this is a problem. Isn't that bad that that's a problem, but looking at sort of really advanced steps and, and goals and, and object like targets that people can measure themselves against. And even details in the guide talking about like expanding leave options, like things like having firms encourage, you know, fathers to take parental leave and sort of getting from that ground up. So rather than that gap always hitting women, particularly when they start having children, sort of ways to make sort of make it easier and in a more sort of holistic way rather than just saying, oh, isn't it sort of bad that this happens and identifying it but not really moving the conversation forward. And that's definitely the goal. And I think what I've seen over this year is that we are miles ahead compared to some of our international jurisdictions. Um, I recently attended a conference where they were still talking about the problems and there were very few solutions. So it was a really proud moment to be able to say we've got a guide and we've actually got tangible outcomes that can be put in place into a practice of any size. Um, so I think we've really kicked a big goal there. And it's bigger than just gender pay gap, as you said. It's it's the whole workplace. How are we supporting everyone in the workplace to not only work hard but also look after their families, look after themselves and their, their commitments in life? And if you could get that nailed, then you've got the whole picture. And I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow, but it's certainly in the pipeline. Another another priority uh, that I think is a really important one to talk about is the 
improving funding for solicitors who provide legal assistance services, including through Legal Aid New South Wales. Like we know that this is a big, a big issue. What what have you observed of it this year? This has been a really important issue to the Law Society and to our members for a really long time. And I think it's something that ticks over president to president. And I'd like to think that it won't have to keep ticking over, but until there's appropriate funding for legal aid matters, it's something that is going to be on the radar for for a while. And legal aid work can be incredibly challenging, but it's also incredibly rewarding. And it's been the Law Society's ongoing position this year, my position, to continue to advocate for funding rates that are commensurate with the amount of work that you've got to do. And I mean, it's never going to be the same as running a private matter. That's the reality of it. But at the moment, particularly for federal matters, so family laws um, covered in that jurisdiction, the pay rates haven't changed for a really long time and they just don't reflect the work that practitioners are doing. And it's really critical that if we're going to make sure we don't have an increasing missing middle, so people who cannot afford a lawyer and aren't eligible for legal aid, if we're not careful, more and more people are going to fall into that gap and they're not going to receive that legal assistance that is critical. One priority that I can probably guess is close to your your heart and also as the sort of second kind of consecutive uh, president who has come from practising in the regions is promoting opportunities in rural, regional and remote legal practice. I know that you've kind of been on a bit of a statewide tour going to a lot of locations across New South Wales. What sort of what have been some of the the highlights and and sort of issues that perhaps, even though that is your background as well, were there things that surprised you from those conversations that you had? It's been really nice to get to almost all of the regions. I think we're up to about 21 of the 29 regions just recently. And it's really important to meet with practitioners on their home turf. It's one thing for them to come to Sydney or to email or call, but when we're actually on their home turf, they're comfortable. And the key is that we listen to what's happening in their communities, not just what's happening in their local court, but what's what's the broader community experiencing because that all has a flow on effect and it all comes back down to how people can help each other in their communities. And it's been really encouraging to see more early career lawyers out in the bush and regional areas. There are a lot more young people really considering rural, regional and remote areas as a long-term option. And that's been a big push this year because so many rural, remote and regional areas are crying out for more lawyers. A really good example of that is Burke. We headed out there earlier this year and there are four practitioners out there. Two work for ALS and two work in the same private practice. So if those solicitors move on or change careers, what's going to happen? That's a huge area as well. Yes, thousands of kilometres that won't have a legal practitioner to service their legal needs. So, And that's something that's happening right across the state. It's not just limited to Burke, for example, Broken Hill. There are lots of places that need that expertise and maybe somebody's looking for that change and a regional lifestyle is pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Another one that I think and people who have heard you, you speak or read some of your articles in quoting you that have been in the journal also know that your your background is sort of practising in the children and young persons care and protection system. And I know that then this was a very important priority, which is building awareness of the importance of lawyers to, to do those matters. 
I remember chatting to you at the start of the year and was talking about the sort of the matters that you had to hand over and there's sort of there just not being a lot of lawyers who really can take on those those types of those cases, either through not really knowing that the area of law or sort of I suppose, you know, under feeling that, you know, it can be incredibly distressing. What how have you you found sort of spreading the word about children's law this year? I was really surprised at how many people just didn't really know what care and protection actually meant. And that sort of really worried me because if you don't know about it, you're probably not going to branch out into it. Um, so I had a lot of discussions of just talking about on a general level what care and protection means and then also giving some statistics of just how many kids are in out-of-home care, for example, and 500,000 calls coming in New South Wales alone uh, where people are worried about the welfare of children. And as you said, when I left Coffs Harbour, I had 35 care and protection files. And there, once I left, there were only eight other practitioners who did that work covering from so Port Macquarie almost up to Tweed Heads nearly. So that's a big area for only eight people to cover. And if there are multiple parties in a matter, we could all be in the same matter together. So that could be every practitioner in town. And I know in some areas, people are having to be flown in to do this work. And particularly if you're acting for a child who's directly instructing you, you don't want to meet with that child over the phone every time. You want to be able to sit down with them. They want to be able to see you. You need to develop a rapport, particularly as they're incredibly vulnerable um, and they age from 12 years up and they need to know who their lawyer is and have that security. So if we're flying people in, that's not ideal. But it was really exciting this year for the Law Society to offer specialist accreditation in children's law. And I think that raised the profile a little bit as well. Mm. It's not easy work, but it's incredibly rewarding work and it's work that just needs to be done. And I think if you put your head into that sort of space, um, that's the best way to approach it. There are kids that need our help and nobody else is going to be able to help them if it's it's not professionals like us. I do see a lot of links between that priority and the final one that was on your list for this year, which was advocating for increased diversion for vulnerable cohorts within the justice system. Do you see those two as sort of having that being kind of like twinned ones that one has an impact on the other? Absolutely. And that's probably why diversion made it onto my list because it just goes hand in hand with the care and protection system, unfortunately. Uh, kids who are in out-of-home care are far more likely to end up in the criminal justice system. And if we're just doing the same thing that we've always done, it's not going to help our kids in the future. If we're not thinking about their whole circumstances, so education, health, housing, all these things, if we're not taking that into account with their criminal activity, we're not going to address the problem. And Diversion's been in the media all year, which has been incredibly good timing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's been on the radar for really the whole state, mm. the whole year. And the current government is really pro-diversion. Mm. Um, it's been really good to see the MINS government announce the expansion of the CBD drug court to five days a week. The next thing would be if that could be expanded across the state. But also I'm mindful that if you put a drug court in a location, then it has to have the full wraparound supports. You have to have a rehab facility and all the other services or the program doesn't work. So it's not just a matter of putting a court somewhere and off you go. Um, 
And then also the local court has shifted towards therapeutic justice. And this is what these kids need, not just kids but vulnerable people who are in the system in general, but it particularly ties in well with the care and protection system because these kids turn up and they grow up and turn into adults and they're just part of the same system that goes around and around. And if we're not addressing the cause and the root issue, nothing's going to change. It really is a conversation that has come on in leaps and bounds in recent years. You think back to sort of government's gone gone past and it's almost like it couldn't be more electorally popular to just hammer being like tough on crime, tough on crime. And it does seem like there is a real shift in understanding that by and large it doesn't work to just keep kind of throwing that hardened response at this problem and sort of starting to think about solutions and I suppose not being afraid to do it as well. I think sometimes just observing would think that sometimes there's political reluctance to it because they worry about what might be said about it and soft on crime seemed to be like it was like no worse allegation could be thrown at a government but it does seem that like there there is the change is happening in that area. Definitely. And tough on crime is publicly palatable, Mm. but in reality, and when you actually look at the psychological evidence of how kids' brains develop, for example, tough on crime is not going to solve the problem. And we're just going to continue using taxpayer dollars to fund a criminal justice system that doesn't produce better humans. What... What it, you've obviously, I mean, having now just listed and gone through all of the priorities and what the work that you've been doing towards them this year, that's like, that's a huge year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are you, you're kind of coming into the sort of final like six weeks of the, the presidency. What are you most looking forward to after you finish? Well, I really enjoy being busy and having a really hectic schedule. I know that my family are going to appreciate a slightly slower pace and definitely a more predictable schedule. And I'm looking forward to taking a break over Christmas and in the early new year and and having some more family time. But as I've said sort of through the year, just because my year as president ends doesn't mean I'm going to just sort of cut ties and and forget all of these issues. So I'm I'm really interested in continuing my understanding and my engagement with all of those priorities, um, particularly around young people. And if that means that I can be involved in different ways, I've still got another year here with the Law Society mm-hmm. as immediate past president, and I'll support the incoming president, Brett McGrath's uh, priorities for next year where we have some crossover as well. Um, but I'd really like to sort of keep my finger on the pulse in terms of promoting um, the work around age of criminal responsibility and and young people in the criminal justice system. So while I'll be finished as president, it's not the end of the road in terms of the priorities that I've been pushing. But definitely, my family are going to welcome a bit more, <laughs> a bit more family time where I'm actually present, yeah. um, and I'm not ducking out to an airport or mm. yeah. On the go, what in in the role you sort of the, you are in this building for you know twelve months? What, what are you what are you going to miss? I think I've really loved the diversity of what you do every day. So I used to be able to run thirty family court matters in in before a judge, and I would know what every matter was up to and what was happening off the top of my head. Come into this job and. It's sort of like that, but on 30 different topics. 
that you don't necessarily have any idea about. <laughs> and so you might be talking about family law and then you'll be talking about anti-money laundering and then you'll be talking about counterterrorism and then you'll be talking about something completely different. And working out how to manage that has been a huge challenge this year, but it's also a huge achievement. And it used to really terrify me at the start of my presidency of how on earth am I going to get across all of this? But there's an incredible team here at the Law Society who provide all the information that you need and really the president is is sort of the figurehead who then needs to be the spokesperson to make sure that our message gets across. And learning how to do that has been an epic challenge but <laughs> also an amazing achievement and I'm incredibly grateful to have had the people around me to work with Um one, to teach me how to do this, but two, so that I can continue to promote the really important work that we do. You mentioned having some feelings of of terror there, but is there anything else that sort of scared you coming into the role that now do you look back on and think, oh, why was I scared of that? There are way scarier things than that or something that, you you know, you did have some apprehension about, but now you're like, I've, you've, you've kind of mastered that skill. I used to get really nervous before delivering speeches. I think we touched on this before and now it's sort of second nature, Mm. which I hadn't really realised until probably about six months in where I went to go and deliver a speech and realised that I was just, it was just going to happen. I wasn't nervous. I'd read it um, and just go in and do the job and to have that realisation that it's just now second nature, that's pretty amazing. But I think just getting across all the things that happen in a day that used to be scary and now you just check the diary and make sure you are where you're meant to be at the right time and do what's got to be done and to master that in 12 months is that's a pretty big personal achievement and professional achievement and it's amazing to actually have the opportunity to even be able to do this. We've been doing the President podcast interviews for a couple of years now and so when we began doing it, we sort of started a tradition where every year we would sort of ask the the current president what advice they had for the new, the incoming president. So we had to listen back as to what Jo Vanderplatt had talked about with you. And firstly, she made the mention of you both having been coming from that sort of female rural regional practitioner, very positive about the amazing job that you were going to do. But she pulled out a couple of things, which was acknowledging that to sort of use your time wisely, use the the pockets of time that you have, use them wisely to take care of yourself and to recognise as well that at times the role might feel isolating, but there is a support behind you. Firstly, was that good advice? (laughs) And also, secondly, uh, you've mentioned Brett is coming into the role next year, Brett McGrath. What advice do you have for him? It was definitely good advice and looking after yourself was probably the number one. So I think I learned that if I had half an hour and I could use, I didn't desperately need that half an hour to do some sort of prep, go for a walk, mm-hmm. um, go and have like your eyelashes done, something. Yeah. <laughs> just get out of the, the office just for half an hour because if you don't take it, you won't get it. Mm. And the diary fills up like nothing else and there's not a lot of time sometimes for anything except work. And if you get burnt out, you're not, you're not useful to anybody. So definitely good advice. Um, in terms of Brett, not that I think that this will be a problem for him, but always be genuine. 
people will call you out if you're not genuine and if you don't mean what you're saying, they'll know. And I set out this year to be genuine and I was worried that I might not be perceived that way but really early on a couple of people said to me, oh, you can tell that you really mean this stuff, you're so genuine. And I sort of thought, well, if there's nothing else that I can do this year, I'm glad I've done that Mm. because you can't fake that and if, if you're not real, you're not real. And I've tried really hard to to try and pass that across. And my other piece of advice for Brett would be what you set out to do at the start of the year may not be where you end up, but that's not a sign of failure. Uh, the role of president has to continually adapt and evolve and where you thought you might go may not be where you end up. So just to keep that in mind because who knows what could happen. The, the media could take a particular direction. Our members could take a direction, something that a decision that the government could make could completely change where a priority goes, but that's not that's not a sign of failure and I think Brett will handle it perfectly well. Well, we have really enjoyed getting to know the real and the president, Cassandra Banks, what one and the same. Uh, thank you so much for the, the leadership and the, the direction, the priorities that you have brought to us this year. It's been wonderful having you here, uh, both in the building and in the studio. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Amy. And welcome back. What, what do you think, Amy? Cassie has certainly had a very, very busy year. Yeah. It's uh, it's amazing how quickly the 12 months must go in the role. And I imagine like starting out in January with like thinking that you've got all these months stretching before you and suddenly you get to, you know, when we're recording in late, late November, like yeah. it's, you're starting to count down weeks, count down days. And yeah, it's it's been such a dynamic year with so much going on. And I think she has left the Law Society in such an incredible place for next year's president, Brett McGrath, to yeah. step in. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, we're all very excited as well for, for Brett. I'm sure we're going to talk to him um, uh, next year in November. Yes, exactly. Um, in the meantime, some, some very wise words from, from Cassie. Exactly. She had some incredibly, and it's really nice to hear what um, what she said to him and, and hearing back the comments that the 2022 president, Joanne Vanderpart, had said to Cassie. Yeah. So it's sort of a nice little, nice yeah, little a circle back. back to, yeah, yeah, great little throwback. Yeah, exactly. And this is also our last episode for 2023. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to come back, well, we're going to take a break in January, uh, everyone, all of us, hopefully our listeners as well. Um, we're going to come back in February. We are starting to plan uh, how the 2024 Just Chat slate is going to be like. So there's nothing that we can say for the moment. No, there is still a lot of mystery and great ideas floating around and we are looking to get some guests locked in but in the meantime so we don't have anybody to announce just yet so you'll have to just savor the mystery and hey say la vie frankie (laughs) savor the mystery exactly um in the meantime though um if you're listening to this in december um and this is your first episode of just chat go back there's 30 something episodes so many episodes any long drives you've got we have you covered exactly exactly our soothing voices will lull I mean 
maybe not as much in long, a long drive if you're driving. You don't want to be lulled in a long drive, no, but yes. Exactly. Like, we'll definitely we'll keep, keep you company. Keep you energised and definitely keep you company. And thank you thank you to all of our listeners for supporting us throughout this year. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, and, well, I uh, we hope to see you all again in uh, February 2024. See you then. Bye. Just Chat is a production of the Law Society of New South Wales. Today's episode was hosted by me, Amy Dale. The show's executive producer is Francisco Silva, and our theme music is by Books Kid. For more episodes, visit lsj.com.au. And if you like us, tell us. Leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, or share an episode with a friend. It really does help people find the show. Thank you for listening. This episode was supported by Noble Oak. Don't forget, if you're a member of the Law Society of New South Wales, you are entitled to a 10% discount on live cover. Call 1-300-108-490 and mention Law Society of New South Wales. Or visit nobleoak.com.au forward slash law society to get a quote online and read the offer terms and conditions, as well as the PDS and target market determination for the insurance.